Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Maybe I should have prefaced this video by saying if you really love Gaither Brothers style music, then don't get offended that we're about to start laughing at it. That might have been the best way to prep that up. Uh, In 2003, my granddaddy laid on his deathbed at home and we all gathered around him for days, uh, grieving and waiting for his last breath. My Nana, God rest her soul, uh, thought that it would be completely appropriate to play Gaither vocal band DVDs on constant recycle for like 24 hours. And for some reason, hearing those old southern gospel music was soothing to her soul. For the rest of us, it put our teeth on edge as we had to listen to this. For as far back as I can remember, the church has sung songs about heaven. Uh, even uh, we've, we've defined it in probably one particular song for many of you that grew up in southern gospel churches, Sweet Beulah Land. That comes from the King James Version translation of Isaiah 62.4. As far back as I can remember, the church sings songs about heaven. It goes even further as far as our conversion point for, for most people. You've probably heard this type of message in some form or another. Ask Jesus into your heart so that you can avoid hell and go to heaven when you die. And there's been an entire industry built around this concept, including hundreds of thousands of books and podcasts and blog posts, as well as millions of sermons preached. The film industry has tapped into this, making millions of dollars on movies like Heaven is for Real and Miracles from Heaven. And I don't want to leave out All Dogs Go to Heaven, City of Angels, and of course the box office sensation, All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. That's the most important one. And you know that a butt is coming, don't you? I wonder if our concept of heaven is a bit limited. In fact, many of us, when we hear a sermon on heaven, those scriptures actually are talking about something holistically different and and more. And we tend to take them out of context. What if when Jesus is speaking about life in the age to come, he's talking about that, but he's talking about something holy, W, and transcendently more? This morning, I want us to rethink our theological assumptions about heaven. That comes from that one tagline there at the end of the the Apostles' Creed, Life Everlasting. Amen. Let's take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 20. 
Now, this is the second to last conversation in our series, Heretic, Rethinking Our Theological Assumptions. We've journeyed through the essential aspects of Christian theology using the Apostle and Nicene Creed as a way of forming our understanding of the Godhead, the Trinity, uh, how God works in the world, how God relates to us, how we believe in God, and how God desires for us to function in the world. And our goal has been to challenge our theological assumptions so that we can come away with a more formed understanding of why we believe what we believe or why you believe what you believe. So the creeds end with this statement, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life and the age to come. Luke 17.20 reads this. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I wonder, a quick poll, when you hear the word kingdom, what, what comes to mind? Talk back to me here. What comes to mind when you hear the word kingdom? Game of Thrones, yes. <laughs> Winter is coming. It's already here, apparently. Others? A place? Prince, prince, princes and princesses, yes. Kings and queens, knights, castles. I, I think of all these different types of things, medieval times. Uh, this is Edinburgh's uh, castle. Let's go to the next slide here. And uh, I had the privilege of going to see Edinburgh Castle in 2006. Um, Harry Potter novelist J.K. Rowling has said it was the inspiration of how she formed, in her mind, the concept and description of Hogwarts, School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, uh, just in case you're not sure what that is. And she, in fact, paid $1,000 per day to stay in a hotel that overlooked this as she was trying in the last few months to pen the final chapters of her series. And the tension between England and Scotland has always centered around this castle. When we think of probably, this is one of the more better known castles in the United Kingdom. And it was a central place where all battles were usually fought for control of it because whoever held Edinburgh Castle held Edinburgh, which meant you held Scotland. And so from 1296 to 1341, this is a critical period where it went back and forth between several hands. Now, what's fascinating about Edinburgh Castle is it's also known as the most haunted castle in all of Europe. Uh, guests who've toured the castle have talked about that they've seen a phantom uh, a pipe player walking around. They've seen phantom dogs walking around. They felt uh, the brush of something on the back of their neck and nothing there. Um, but for many of us, when we think of kingdoms, we think of something that looks like that and wars that are fought over something like that. You probably hear me use the term kingdom or kingdom of God a lot. And oftentimes when we hear a term so frequently, we usually decide in our mind what it means or it becomes so uh, dull to us that we really don't stop and think about what it means. We're not talking about kingdoms and castles. We're certainly not talking about Game of Thrones uh, <laughs> or princes and princesses. Let's say it clearly that way. What Jesus is talking about is something so much deeper. And for many of us, as we hear the words kingdom, we associate, even if we associate with, a God, with God that comes with a lot of baggage, if we picture God as a king sitting on a throne, we picture something domineering, manipulative, narcissistic. We 
think of kingdoms, we think of knights overthrowing, killing others, wars being waged, and it seems something that doesn't fit in with the terminology of Jesus seen in the Gospels with this idea of kingdom. So if I was trying to find an exact answer for you, I would be a fool to think I could capture that in 25 minutes. There's been endless dissertations that have been written, books and resources all around this idea of the kingdom. But kingdom is a central theme in the gospel message. Here's how you know it. The kingdom, the word kingdom is the word basileia in Greek. It's used at least 120 times alone in the gospel. Just to give you a little comparison, the words we often associate with Christianity of love and grace... Combined, those words are only used 35 times in the gospel. So what that tells us is that kingdom is central to the message and ministry and movement of Jesus. But then Jesus doesn't even give us a clear definition of what the kingdom of God is. You probably heard this phrase as you read the gospels. The kingdom of God is like. Followed by something like the kingdom of God is like a father who has two sons. Like a shepherd who has one sheep go missing and leaves the 99 to go find the one. So Jesus used parables, but he didn't say the kingdom is. This is exactly what it's supposed to be. He says the kingdom of God is like. But then he also talked about living in the way of the kingdom. Things like forgiving those who have wronged you, loving your neighbor as yourself, providing for those who have physical needs, being present in the lives of other people. And then Jesus shows us the radical power of the kingdom by casting out demons, healing the sick, resurrecting the dead, taking five loaves of bread and two fish and feeding a multitude of people. So the kingdom of God cannot exactly be defined. It seems something so simple, yet it's something so not understandable. And is he talking about heaven? Well, no, not necessarily. But actually, the term kingdom of heaven was oftentimes used in Jesus' day as another term for God. Speaking of God in reverence, not wanting to speak of God fully, so they would say the kingdom of heaven referring to God. But then Jesus also uses this terms interchangeably. In Matthew and Mark, he uses the term kingdom of heaven. But in Luke, he uses the term kingdom of God. Those terms are the same in what he's trying to say. And taking a step further, we have often talked about heaven as this distant place, this place to come. But Jesus often speaks of the kingdom in different types of verb tenses. So what are the brass facts on the kingdom? What does the gospel teach us about the kingdom of God? We should first note that the kingdom of God is something different. It's, it's countercultural. It's, it's something that's completely different than what we're used to. Jesus is constantly presenting a different way of life, a different mentality, a different way of thinking of truth. He's speaking of the kingdom as this set-apart thing, this something wholly different. In the Gospels, Jesus has and continues to shift the paradigm of life by talking about the way of the kingdom of God. And it brings significant changes into people's lives. Remember, each time Jesus encountered someone, he was transforming them by the love of God, inviting them into this new way of living and thinking. And we learn from the Gospels that the kingdom isn't for a set of some people. But Jesus talks about that the kingdom of God is for all people. 
And Jesus steps over the religious and the social and the political and the economic boundaries by constantly inviting the so-called outcast into the kingdom, but at the same time having enough grace to look at the Pharisees and invite them into the kingdom as well. Yet still can we grasp what the kingdom of God is? We are told that the happiest place on earth is Disney World. Um, And I'm going to put myself out there and be vulnerable. I couldn't agree more. Uh, My parents grew up in Florida, and so as a kid, Disney was almost felt like an annual event. I I have the fondest memories of being absolutely petrified riding the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at four years old, or standing in awe of the spectacular light show, the fluorescent colors that are going as this parade is happening at night. I can still close my eyes and remember going to the Indiana Stunt Show, Indiana Jones Stunt Show for the first time, and remembering I wanted to be old enough to be down there participating in it. When I knew I was going to ask Jennifer to marry me and we had talked about going to Magic Kingdom with a group of friends uh, around the time of our dating anniversary, I set up all the plans and I proposed to her at Cinderella's wishing well that overlooked her castle. In March, my parents took uh, our family to Disney and it brought tears to my eyes just thinking of our little girls seeing the castle for the first time or meeting all the different princesses. So Disney is a place that pulls together and forms new memories. It brings out laughter and joy, excitement and fulfillment. So I can understand why oftentimes people say it's the happiest place on earth. When we think of the kingdom of God, think of any type of memories you have in a place like that. And we have to multiply at times indescribable amounts. Because Jesus spoke about the kingdom in such powerful ways that it moved people to rethink the way that they were living. Rethink how they understood God. Remember the moment where Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath day. She was crippled and Jesus healed her. And the Pharisees are criticizing and ripping him to him. And you know how Jesus responds in Luke chapter 13. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree. The birds perched on it and its branches. Again, he said, what shall I compare the kingdom to? It's like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into 30 pounds of flour until it worked itself all throughout the dough. I love when Jesus is faced with this very difficult situation. He's being chided by the Pharisees and yet he responds with a story. But it's a powerful story to show the power of the kingdom. We look at a mustard seed that we have up here, this tiny thing. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this tiny seed yet it turns into this. That is the power of the kingdom of God. It's the power that mixes into our lives like yeast. And as it begins to expand and transform the very substance of our life, of our world, it turns into something radically different, something transcendent, something that provides peace and security, peace and power. The kingdom of God is something awe-inspiring. So where is the kingdom? How do we get into the kingdom? Let's go back to our text. Luke 17, 20 says this. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. You see, Jesus having a conversation with the Pharisees. 
That should be no surprise for anybody who's read the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> but the Pharisees have a legitimate question. When and where is the kingdom of God coming? It's very telling, and uh, this is a very common belief in Jesus' time, that the, the coming of the Messiah would ignite the coming of the kingdom of God, that Israel would be restored to its prominence. So the Pharisees are hoping that the kingdom of God, that the Messiah was coming to bring about this tremendous time. They believed it would be something that would be observable, where you could say, there it is, or here it is. In reality, the Pharisees get it kind of right, kind of. You see, whether we want to admit or not, Jesus is deflecting the question as to when and where the kingdom is coming. This isn't the first time Jesus does this in the Gospels. Yet why do we live in such a Christian culture where we want to tangibly put our hands on when we believe the kingdom of God is coming? It has more to do with control than it has to say about our actual belief and faith in Christ. Instead of actually speaking about where the kingdom is and how it will come, Jesus changes the conversation altogether. Maybe the question we should be asking about the kingdom is not what or where. Maybe the question we should be asking is how and when. Jesus answers the question by basically saying in my translation, boys, the kingdom of God is here. He says in verse 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It appears what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees is not thinking down the road some future thing that's happening, but Jesus is trying to tell them it's right here. It's right now. So this age-old debate about the kingdom, for some reason we argue as if God is bringing this distant thing. We become so focused on the future and Jesus is trying to bring their attention. He's trying to bring our attention to here and now. When the kingdom of God becomes about heaven, oh sweet Beulah land, then the goal is about life well and the age to come after death. What Jesus seems to be doing is shifting our understanding to begin to think about now. Life transformed now. The message of salvation is in the age to come, but Jesus is also saying it matters now because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or to borrow a quote from one author who said this, to say it again, eternal life is less about a kind of time that starts when you die and more about a quality and vitality of life now in connection to God. Eternal life does not start when you die. It starts now. It's not about life that begins at death. It's about experiencing the kind of life now that can endure and survive even death. You see, I believe that Jesus is trying to make it clear to the Pharisees, trying to make it clear to us that the kingdom of God is not some distant event that will happen. God bringing about this thing future to come that we lose sight of now. God desires to give you life to the full now. A few months ago, uh, Disney announced its plans to produce a live-action version of uh, The Lion King. And this is coming off the heels of uh, The Jungle Book having massive success. And this movie is going to come out in 2019. Um, if you're not familiar with The Lion King, I'll just give you a quick synopsis, okay? Not in, not in singing form. I know some of y'all were like, yes, uh, but it's not going to happen. 
uh, maybe after worship today. Uh, the story of the Lion King is about a young lion cub named Simba. Uh, he's allowed his uncle to manipulate him to believe that he was the cause of his father's death and that, uh, that his, his family wants to reject him and ostracize him. So he goes on the run. And when he goes on the run, his uncle takes over the kingdom and begins to ruin the kingdom. And Simba grows up with this fear. And he grows up as a refugee, believing that he was the one that had caused all this. And in his absence, his kingdom is crumbling around him. But the reality of his uncle's lies, the devastation that he has brought to his homeland, all of it comes crashing down where he's faced with a conscious choice to forget his past and his heritage or to become who he is supposed to be. He is his father's son. He is the king of the kingdom. And the Broadway show uh, wrote a song that they picked up in the second Lion King movie, and it goes like this. Wait, there is no mountain too great. Hear these words and have faith. He lives in you. He lives in me. He watches over everything we see. Into the waters, into the truth, in your reflection, he lives in you. There's one other way that we can translate Jesus' words about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. He uses the Greek word entos here, which means the kingdom of God is among you, but can also be translated the kingdom of God is within you. Stop and think about that for just a second. Jesus is not speaking about the kingdom as if it's this future thing that we will see eventually when we die. That is part of it. But Jesus is trying to give a very impactful and life-shifting theological understanding of the kingdom by saying, it's in you. Think about that for a second. The kingdom of God is within you. It's in your midst. God is not just out there, external, and working in the world, abiding apart from you. God is present within you. The very voice that spoke life into existence, the very voice that had the power to separate the waters of the Red Sea, the very power that had the ability to resurrect from the dead, that same spirit of God dwells within you because the kingdom of God is within you. Think about that. And what does that look like? That seems such a, a cosmic idea that the kingdom of God is within us. But when you really break it down into size, when you really look at it on the micro level, it seems so simple. As you journey with Jesus, the kingdom of God is on the move, growing each day. Jesus has invited you to journey with him, to be with him, to live with him in his kingdom. And as you follow Jesus daily, you are being transformed to live in the way of Jesus. Your thoughts become his thoughts. Your words become his words. Your decisions become his decisions. The kingdom of God is forming and it's moving. And when you begin to realize that following Jesus is not a bunch of religious patty cake, but an invitation into a faith-filled journey, then you are living out the kingdom of God. When you 
journey with Jesus, following him in faith, then we start to reflect the kingdom of God. You see, you are being the kingdom of God when you realize that you are a beloved child of God. When you recognize that God is concerned with your well-being and desires to give you full life, you're living out the kingdom of God. When you choose not to judge and condemn other people, but see them through the eyes of God, you are being the kingdom of God. When you have the compassion to embrace those who are broken and weary on the road, when you have the compassion to love even the self-righteous religious people, you are being the kingdom of God. When you worry for the least of these, and not just for the greatest of these, you are being the kingdom of God. When you put to death the patterns and practices of this world and take on the new patterns of Christ's life within you, you are being the kingdom of God. When you recognize and embrace that life is not building up our little kingdoms where we develop all this massive wealth and stuff that we feel like we need in our life, but we give it away, we are being the kingdom of God. When you realize that, that God is more concerned with just, not just your family, not just the home you have, not just the car you have, not just the friends you have, not just the stuff and the jobs and the existence you find in all of these things, but you find your existence in Christ alone, you are being the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is within you. It makes itself known in your gifts, in your talents, in your strengths, in your resources, in your priorities, in your uniqueness. The kingdom of God is within you as you are loving your neighbor as yourself, as you are choosing to seek first the kingdom of God, not seeking first our little kingdoms. You are being the kingdom of God. You see, each day is a moment to see the kingdom at work, to see it grow, and to see it move. The kingdom of God is within you been the laughing stock of the land if you would have told Macedonians at the beginning of 323 BC that their great leader would die unexpectedly and that their massive empire would begin to crumble within a few years. After he had, uh, after the unexpected assassination of his father in 336 uh, BCE, Alexander III of Macedonia became king of his country. And what he was able to accomplish was something that was unheard of in this day. He took the Macedonian rule beyond the province of Greece, south to Egypt, as far east as India, and everywhere in between. And Alexander accomplished this um, in a way that had never been done before. Instead of conquering a, a foe and suppressing their history and their culture, Alexander chose to uh, assimilate the conquered people by, by bettering the Macedonian Empire by learning from their culture, from their beliefs, from their wisdom. And then he empowered their leaders, local leaders, to continue to lead. And so the Greek culture, this is how the Greek culture spread by the time we get to the first century where most people were speaking one language, Koine Greek. Rome has Alexander to thank for developing this empire. Yet all this changed in 323 B.C. Because at the age of 32, Alexander died. And his dreams of a, of a unified kingdom and learning from other people, it died with him. And instead of, of uh, appointing a successor, Alexander's kingdom was divided up between four of his generals. And within a lifetime, within a short generation, this Macedonian empire had crumbled into nothing. Why? 
Because these four generals were not interested in the worth and betterment of the empire of Macedonia. They were more concerned with self, more concerned with wealth, more concerned with power. And so all that Macedonia became is just a flicker in our past. What I want us to begin to think about as we think around this theology of the kingdom of God is within you. How does that theology shape your life? If we shape our lives around the theology of life in the age to come, that's the type of kingdom we're only concerned about, then it's easy to make life just about us. If we're so concerned with our little kingdoms, our little wealth, our little whatever it is, then the kingdom of God becomes this afterthought. But Jesus is inviting us to be a central part of making the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, be on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom of inclusiveness, a kingdom for all people, a kingdom where anyone, anywhere, can follow Jesus into life. How does that theology shape your life? How does that theology shape the way you live each and every single day? Maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all this stuff will work itself out. Are we seeking first the kingdom? Uh, Last fall, I shared a, a story with you in a sermon that I thought fit so perfectly into the kingdom of God within us, the kingdom of God among us, the kingdom of God becoming a central piece of our theology and how we live our lives. Uh, In July of last year, uh, 18 of us ventured down to Atlanta for uh, a mission immersion experience. And our hope was uh, to learn from others and how they were growing the kingdom of God, how they were serving other people. And probably the most impactful experience was when our group went to the Gateway Center, which is a homeless shelter in the heart of Atlanta, uh, where 10,000 homeless people populate the city. And uh, we were tasked with uh, washing hands and feet and giving manicures and pedicures. Um, And it just should be known that, like, I should always be the last person to ever paint anyone's nails. Uh, Still have a memory from several years ago of a homeless woman all but crying as I was painting her nails because they were terrible. Uh, and about 30 minutes into the session, a man came walking up, and he was wearing a, um, an Atlanta jersey, Atlanta Falcons jersey. And he uh, wanted us to clean and to cut his toenails first, and so we obliged. And um, what we didn't expect was that when this man uh, raised his leg on the chair to start to cut his nails, uh, that apparently all he was wearing was the Atlanta Falcons jersey. And, and the man is sitting right there in front of the Pope family. <laughs> Zach and Jenna Kate and Dawn and Alan uh, with his testicles open for everyone to see. But the popes didn't miss a beat. They painted his nails with his male genitalia all right there. And maybe the best way to capture this moment was how the Gateway Center volunteer coordinator put it best. I watched a church on a mission trip lovingly paint the fingernails of a cracked addict trans prostitute. They never judged her. They treated her as if she was Jesus. I did notice that her testicles were exposed, so I found her some longer shorts. Sometimes you got to clothe the naked and paint their fingernails. You're probably not going to hear this in any other sermon across the United States today, but if, if, a, if a Zach Pope, if a child can be the kingdom of God, then what excuses do we have?
if a nine-year-old can stand there and paint the nails of a man with his testicles literally sitting right there and not missing a beat, loving that man as if he was Jesus. We have no excuses of why we cannot let the kingdom of God be within us, among us, actively each day. If we center our lives on heaven, life, and the age to come, then we're missing the power and the impact of Jesus' message and ministry and invitation. The kingdom of God is yet to come fully, but it is here now. So take hope that the kingdom of God is among you. Take strength in knowing that the kingdom of God is within you. And may we be a people that leave here to be the presence of Christ as we take the kingdom with us. Let's pray together. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.